0: Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It is bonus time as I speak. It's Friday afternoon. As you hear, it's Tuesday morning, or it could be Wednesday morning, or it could be Thursday or Friday because it's a podcast. You could download no, whenever you, you want. You said you said Tuesday, so it'd be Monday when they hear it. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you should have just said that. You should have just interrupted me. I was on such a roll there, but whatever. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Two. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time as I speak. It's Friday. Uh, when you hear this, it'll be Tuesday, Tuesday morning, or maybe... It'll be Monday. Monday. Oh, it's that's... It's on Monday. Monday. Why do I have my thing on Tuesday, man? I don't know. It'll be Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Because you, you can download it anytime. <laughs> He's figured it out, uh, listeners. It don't worry. He'll get there. Uh, anyway, it's been a long week, but I am eager... To dive in with this interview with a good friend of this show, uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez-Rosa, 35th Ward. Uh, I would say he's the leader of the Progressive Caucus in the city council. I'm not even sure what the Progressive Caucus <laughs> status is. So I'll just say one thing's for certain. Wherever I've been, this guy has been a loyal uh Supporter, And he's come on my shows, a hideout, other radio station, this podcast. So it's good to have you back. Carlos. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, 35th Ward, pride and joy of Logan Square. Uh, it was so much to talk to you about, Carlos, in terms of where we're heading as a city, how we're going to pay our bills, what the state of the city council will be uh, under uh, Lori Lightfoot as our new mayor, what in the world a city council was thinking when it's so foolishly and stupidly, my words, not yours. Uh, committed over $2 billion to two mega-tiff deals that we don't we don't even need right. to, to gentrify. <laughs> we don't subsidize gentrifying neighborhoods already. Uh, alderman, a prerogative. I, if you're in the studio, I'm going to have to ask you a Bernie Sanders question or two. So we have a long list of things to get yeah. to. Uh, but let's start with what just went down. The last time we were in your show, you were here as a strong advocate uh, for Tony Preckwinkle, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Tony! Uh, he's still... <laughs> I don't have a Tony button i have a bernie button with a, a reefer weed there I'll, but I'll bring you one bring me a tony yeah break. yeah i yeah, know it'll be um good to have for nostalgic all right so what went down uh in the election obviously lori won
1: you know i think it was a moment where people were tired of Rahm Emanuel. they were tired of politics as usual and lori was very uh Capable at painting herself as the outsider of painting herself as the change that people wanted to see. So essentially, Tony became the candidate of the establishment. Um, Obviously, the fundraiser that Ed Burke threw for her uh, that will more than likely result in his indictment had a big uh, impact in this election. Uh, And I also think that um, I will be very honest with you. I don't think the media was totally fair in its coverage of this election. You know, it, it seemed like, you know, anything that Tony did was scrutinized, uh, whereas, you know, Lori kind of um, really didn't uh, get, uh, you know, looked at by the media until the very, very end. Um, huh. And I think at that point, the public had already made up their mind.
0: All right. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, as long as we're talking about media, uh, I wrote a column right before the election when I which I said there's no progressive in this race and by that I meant there's nobody when I think about the the key issues uh, that have defined Chicago politics uh, over the last let's I just drew it uh, 10 years and uh, basically since you got out of high school and became an active member of the Chicago political community. Uh, I cannot think of any time in which either person, Lori Lightfoot or Tony Preckwinkle, was on the front lines. So, as far as I was concerned, as an old Chicago progressive, there were no progressives in the race. Well, Do you essentially, you know, agree I, with mean, you I, that I think way?
1: increasingly the word "progressive" is difficult to define. Rahm Emanuel would say he's a progressive. Yeah, well, actually, you know, in the in the uh, you know speeches that were said about Rahm as you know he was lauded, uh, Joe Moore stood up and said, you know, people have said I've changed, but in reality, I didn't change. It's that the mayor changed, and we had a progressive mayor. Um, <laughs> so he didn't really say that. He did. did he? I I promise you that. I promise oh you that. Oh my god. But hey, I stood up and said nice things about Ron. I stood up and said nice things about Joe because the truth is, you know, People have mixed records, and I think that Toni Preckwinkle has a mixed record. She has a record that shows that she's a champion for criminal justice reform. She's reduced our prison population. She's expanded healthcare coverage in Cook County. She's improved outcomes at Cook County Hospital. She's helped elect progressives up and down the ballot, voted against privatization, helped found the Progressive Caucus in the Chicago City Council. At one point in time, she was the strongest critic of Mayor uh, Daley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, partially because of that, he said, hey, let's get you out of the city council and, and, and maybe get you, you know, uh, as my counterpart on the county board. Along the way, she made many unsavory, uh, you know, compromises. And I think that ultimately that caught up with her. I think in, in her mind, you know, she was saying, I've got to do this to be effective. Right. And I think that no one ever thought that Burke Would commit such a ridiculous crime. Um, You know, I've heard that, you know, there were many people close to her that would tell her, Tony, don't do a fundraiser with Ed Burke, you know? But I think that in her mind she figured, hey, this is Ed Burke. You know, he is a powerful actor in county and city politics. And if I want to be able to move forward my agenda, Mm-hmm. Right then, I have to be able to work with individuals like him. Ultimately, you know that was a mistake as it relates to this election. Yeah. Right? And in hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But I think that you know it uh, it really helped Lori. Now, Lori has a mixed record too. You know, she improved uh, some outcomes uh, when it came to civilian uh, police oversight during her time, you know, serving for Daly and Rom. Uh, but again, there was also a lot of things that I and others were very critical about mm-hmm. in her record, um, which I don't want to relitigate. Yeah, let's um, not relitigate. Yeah.
0: Litigate. Let's go back to something you just said. Uh, you said some nice <laughs> things about Rahm. Uh, that was in that uh, chorus, I assume, of uh, aldermanic speeches, uh, of that last meeting after the travesty of the Lincoln Yard and 78 vote. Everybody got up and started hugging Rom. So what a weird city, Carlos. <laughs> truly a weird city we are. Money and power. Money and power. Mm-hmm. All right, so before we go to uh, Lincoln Yards, what did you say nice about Rom? And when you think about Rom's legacy, Uh, What comes to your mind?
1: You know, I think that um, when I think about Rahm Emanuel's overarching legacy, I think it's going to be one of displacement, one of prioritizing the rich and powerful over the working families in Chicago's neighborhoods. And ultimately, I think it's going to be one of waking up people, the grassroots, right? You had the first major teacher strike in the city of Chicago in a very long time. We have uh, now the most (laughs) socialists, In the Chicago City Council in a century. Uh, Six of us now. Hey, Rosanna, officially the winner of the 33rd Ward. So I think that that Rahm's legacy is is one of, you know, causing harm. to working class people, uh, prioritizing the rich and powerful, pushing forward a very vicious corporate Democrat agenda. Uh, but the inverse of that is that people stood up, fought back, and as a result of that, we have vibrant, strong movements in the city of Chicago that are gonna shape the politics of the city for generations to come. The other thing I, I would add to that as well is that, you know, at the meeting that we just had, you know, we had a resolution that talked about his legacy. And I do feel that, look, when someone is retiring, when someone is leaving public life, the gracious, correct thing to do is if you have something nice to say, say it. And although we had to fight him, although we had to push him, uh, and by, uh, you know, we, I mean undocumented immigrant activists, progressive elected officials, ultimately he did give us the Immigrant Legal Defense Fund, uh, which is a fund of over a million dollars to help protect undocumented Chicagoans that are facing deportation. So that is something that you know my community that I work with asked me for very early on in my tenure. It took us uh, two and a half years to get it, uh, but we got it. And yeah. uh, I did thank him for that.
0: And did he say anything to you like, you're welcome?
1: No, no, <laughs> no, I, I, he kind of smiled courteously and uh, but uh, and then I think Deb says something like I recorded that for posterity. <laughs>
0: uh, but look, I, I think it's the, the nice thing to do. Well, the first part of what you said uh, reminded me. There's a song way before your time called A Boy Named Sue. And the premise of A Boy Named Sue. Follow me on this. Is that the father uh, was an absentee father. He named names cowboy days. And He named his his son Sue. And so wherever he was, the son went. He, had, he was get beat up by bullies, and he had to learn to fight and be tough. So oh, wow. effectively, what you're saying is that what Rahm did uh, through his <laughs> horrendous uh, antediluvian uh, policies was to force the real progressives in the city, city of Chicago to get tough. That's right. That's right. I, I think, um, you know, the, the labor piece that
1: existed under Daly uh, in, in many different uh, sectors disappeared, uh, but also just the, the viciousness of, you know, the project of displacement, of gentrification, of creating a city that is a, you know, playground for the rich, uh, but is really, you know, increasingly unaffordable for everyone else. It, it made people wake up and say, this is not the path that we wanna go down. Um, And folks overwhelmingly, whether it was voting for Lori Lightfoot, whether it was voting for Socialists, whether it was voting for members of United Working Families or Reclaim Chicago, or progressives uh, in general voted for change uh, on February
0: 26th and on April 2nd. All right, now um, we talk about voting for change. Lori Lightfoot won 75% of the vote. We mentioned this briefly before you came in the air. That to me indicates a mandate. Uh, That, to me, indicates that the the electorate was speaking with uh, one voice, essentially. They want something. What is the mandate in your humble opinion?
1: You know, the Bible says you can't have two masters. Um, And I think that one of the challenges that Mayor-elect Lightfoot is going to face is she's going to have to choose which of the bases of people that voted for her she's now going to make common cause with. And. I don't think she's able to pick all three. I'm going to I'm going to list three groups of people. Okay. This is my analysis. I think you had you know white liberals, what we would have called Lakefront liberals in the '80s under Harold Washington, right. you know folks that were tired of Ed Burke, tired of the machine, tired of corruption. Then I think that you had you know more conservative, uh, you know white voters in Mount Greenwood on the far northwest side who identified Toni Preckwinkle with her fabulous criminal justice reform record. Right, the FOP hated Tony Preckwinkle. Hates Tony Preckwinkle. They're constantly bashing her, hitting her. You know, Tony Preckwinkle is the Cook County Board president that you know gave us Kim Fox. You know, a reformer as the state's attorney. So I think that there were you know a more conservative element that saw Lori Lightfoot as the more conservative, you know, in some ways white candidate in this race. And then I think that you had a group of voters that said, "I'm voting against Tax Winkle." No. I would see jokes online. This one lady, she said in Spanish, she goes, If we vote for Tony, she's going to tax tortillas. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it, it was brutal.
0: It was brutal. And it's so, kind of funny, though. That is funny, though. Oh, look out! The tortilla tax was on it. Well, she did try to tax soda pop, so, uh, you know, tortillas
1: are not. Nice. So, and she repealed that tax, which I think shows, you know, a, a judiciousness and a fairness. Um, but But I will say this. Lori has now got to pick her lane. And if she doesn't pick a lane, it's gonna be, I think, the most uh, tremendous triangulation that anyone has ever pulled off in the history of politics in the United States. I I don't know which politician could pull off that type of triangulation, because if you look at what's gonna happen, in the city of Chicago, we're gonna to continue to face gun violence, and at that point in time, you have to make a decision as a mayor. Are you going to go the route of uh, pushing criminal justice reform investing in mental health clinics, after school programs, job programs, or you're gonna go the route of police first, you know? And I think the moment that you decide your strategy there, that's when you're gonna begin to lose portions of that 75% that got you there. Because you're gonna have people pulling you in all different directions. And then the biggest question that we face, pension liability, our first budget. So in the fall, The mayor's going to have to visit that first budget, and at that point, she's going to decide, is she going to pursue draconian cuts? Is she going to pursue regressive revenue? Is she going to pursue progressive revenue? Is she going to do a combination of all three? And so it's going to be very difficult to to maintain that mandate just because I think people were all over the place in terms of why they were
0: voting for Lori or why they were voting against Tony. All right, you gave me a lot uh, in that answer to respond to, but let's just start at the start. Um, She has to pick a lane. And I know a lot of my uh, Lori Lightfoot friends and I have them out there a little irritated at me right now with this column I just wrote in a reader uh, where I criticize Lori for essentially uh, picking a lane by staying out of a fight. And the fight was the Lincoln Yards TIFF fight. The fight was the 78 TIF fight. Right. Uh, she has spoken about the need to hold off on a vote. Uh, when she was a candidate for office, yes. she came on this show and others and said, uh, these the, the, these are uh, projects do not warrant uh, TIF funding and uh, we don't need to subsidize upscale housing in gentrifying neighborhoods. Um, I believe a 75% vote, this is me speaking, uh, was a mandate for change. The first thing you would change is this outrageous program that we have which throws money away. Uh, She didn't see it that way and she chose not to take that fight on. Um, So in your mind, how was your reaction to that? Do you, I think I was unfair to her to criticize her? Do you think she should have gotten involved in that fight?
1: Mayor Ramanu wants to be able to call up Lloyd Lightfoot and say, Mayor Lightfoot, I have someone that I'd like to introduce to you. Finance Committee Chair Patrick O'Connor would like to be able to do the same. They're not looking to lose their influence or their ability to pick up the phone and move things at City Hall. And so my belief is that if Lori Lightfoot had said, Alderman Hopkins, Alderman O'Connor, Mayor Manuel, I need you to sit on this until I take office, I think they would have said absolutely yes. Particularly the Alderman, because what we know is that uh, you know, what's happened in the past is what's most likely to happen in the future, and we know that the Chicago City Council, what they primarily know how to do is follow and to rubber stamp. And so, my, <laughs> it's sad. We're laughing so we don't cry. No, but it's true,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know I, how to rubber stamp, go ahead.
1: So I, I think that if, if, and look, Alderman O'Connor, And uh, Rahm Emanuel publicly said, we will defer to the new mayor on this. Yes, they did. I will tell you, I think this is what happened. Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot's biggest single campaign contributor, Layuna. Layuna had a lot invested in this project. And they came down to City Hall and they were lobbying hard. And they said, look, we have members that are going to spend the rest of their working lives building Lincoln Yards, building the 78. And look, that moves me. Because that is beautiful, that type of job security, to have that good-paying union job that's gonna provide for a generation of Chicagoans, Mm -hmm. right? But I don't think that we needed to give 2.4 billion in TIF subsidy to these luxury developers in order to accomplish that. Layuna is of the opinion that that had to happen. They've bought that line you know uh, that the mayor has put out uh, saying that if we don't give these big developers tiff money, the construction isn't going to happen, and we're not going to be able to ensure labor peace. Mm. I don't agree with that analysis, but that is the analysis of Layuna, and they gave Mayor-elect Lightfoot five hundred thousand dollars. So I think that that had a lot of influence on it. You also had the business community, you had cranes, you had folks at the Tribune losing their minds, saying we got to move forward with this now, <laughs> and and so I think that she must have also been getting phone calls from. A lot of folks that are connected, you know, and saying, hey, Lori, you know, we really need you to move this. There's a lot of different people that are invested in this. you got to signal that you're going to be a pro-business mayor. The market's about to turn south. we got to start putting, you know, shovels in the ground. Otherwise, you know, this whole project is going to fall apart. And I think that she caved underneath that pressure. My sense is, is that it was a mistake to then green light it. I think she should have tried to do some, you know, Kabuki theater and said, "I'm still against this," but you know, secretly say, "Hey, Ram and you know Connor, uh, go ahead, push it forward." I think that that probably could have worked out if she had tried to do something like that, because I think by flip-flopping on her pledge, uh, I think that she began to to again bring her honeymoon to a close, and I believe that that. That seventy-five percent that voted for her, she begins to, you know, disappoint
0: people, and it becomes harder then to move those folks with you in the future. Mm. All right, and so, uh, by the way, since subsequent to. Uh, that deal going down. The paper's been filled with stories. I don't know if you follow these things, but the paper's been filled with stories with a new uh, huge mega deal that's going to be in the uh, South Loop area across the street, uh, just west, I want to say, of Soldier Field over uh, the railroad tracks there. This is probably, this is greater than either one of those deals. So it's clearly... Uh, and, my, and, and, oh, and One thing I do want to say, though, so, you know, Lori says, well, we got a you know stronger commitment
1: on minority hiring and minority contracting. No one was protesting over that. You know, no one was ob- uh, uh, objecting to that. And an actual review of, uh, you know, the agreement actually found that they included standard language that allows the developer to pay out. Of those requirements, and guess whose money they're going to use to pay out from those
0: requirements? Ours, because they're getting 2.4 billion in TIF subsidy right. in over the words, next thirty something years. Would you say pay out? In other words, uh, avoid having to make the commitments to minority companies by paying into a fund? Is that what you? That's just right. Said? Yes. Okay, uh, which is what they do with affordable housing as well. You right. pay into a fund, and then you don't have to put the right. housing, in and, and, and it's and our money. Thing, and
1: the same thing with the housing, right? They're like, this is an unprecedented <laughs> amount of money that this developer is going to put forward towards housing. Yeah, they can do it because guess what? It's our
0: money. Anyway. All right. Uh, so already Lori Lightfoot's be, uh, getting criticized
1: by Carlos. Uh, no, no, and no. Me, I, and this, is, this is not. I will say this. I The day after the election, I sent a letter to Mayor Lightfoot and I said, you got to <laughs> succeed now. And so I will say this. If, if the lane that she picks is I'm going to make common cause with progressives to push forward important reform around ethics, around corruption, around affordable housing, around criminal justice reform then hey okay. i am with mayor lightfoot 150% did, did i'm bringing the light but oh, and
0: that's funny man all right time out so did you respond to that letter i've not heard from her yet i see no. uh by the way i was uh, what i was going to say is that there's a huge a mega project and I'll avoid the details on that one carlos i'm just telling you right now at the moment They've not indicated whether they're going to be seeking uh, TIF dollars for it. Uh, it's kind of—I'm not quite sure where they're going to go with that. Usually, they—they're they, cautious. They don't say it up front. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. do that with Lincoln Yards or 78. They right. let it—you know—let it evolve. But uh, that will be a key fight that the city council will deal with. It'll be interesting to see how much has changed when you get around uh, to that—that uh, that mega project. All right, uh, the city council under Lori Lightfoot. Let's think about that uh, for a moment. Uh, how, what do you think the, the the relationship will be between the city council and the new mayor?
1: You know, I think that, um, again, the, the mayor has the biggest stick in the room, has the biggest ability to, uh, you know, organize people. Obviously, uh, you know, with uh, Burke facing this uh, indictment in the very near future, he's been defanged. I haven't heard from him. What I sense is that he's not actually really trying to organize the council. Um I've heard that Lori and her administration have taken some steps towards that, um, but again, I, I know she's called some of my colleagues and uh, reaffirmed her commitment to have an independent, stronger city council. You know, the question is: is um, what is the structure of the council? Um, the New York City Council has fifty-one council members, thirty-five standing committees. Um, That is because they are a truly robust legislative body. The Chicago City Council has 50 council members, 16 uh, committees, um, and those committees uh, generally uh, either are reviewing ordinances that fall under the purview of quote-unquote aldermanic prerogative Mm -hmm. so we're rubber stamping in committee each other's ordinances around uh you know the residential permit parking spot in your ward right there's not gonna be discussion about that right you want to put a residential permit parking in your ward that's because your residents have asked for it now we're gonna vote on it as a city council that's an example of aldermanic prerogative Mm -hmm. we don't often talk about same thing with a stop sign then there's the more controversial ones right where it's a property tax abatement Right? Where the local alderman wants to give a property tax abatement to, you know, activate a vacant lot in their ward, and and they want to give a property tax abatement to this business that's coming in, right? Generally, we defer to each other on those matters. That's another form of aldermanic prerogative. So there's a number of committees on the Chicago City Council that function um, essentially as the venues where, you know, these very local ordinances go through. Um, And then the committees that deal with, uh, you know, more robust issues, generally they've been very managed. So, for example, when I've introduced an ordinance and I've gone to the committee chair. There have been so many times that they've told me, you gotta go speak with the mayor's office. Mm. You gotta go speak with the mayor's office. So that's not a real legislative body um, because in effect everything is managed through the mayor's office. Anything, right, the local things in our ward, right, Yes, we are the legislators passing that, but we're deferring to what each other wants in each other's district. But when it comes to the big substantive citywide issues, you know, we're consistently told in this current council that's about to wrap up that we have to first have the support of the
0: mayor in order for that to move. Well, um, you're you sound like you're heading into my country. And essentially, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so feel free to vigorously disagree with Mm me with what I'm about to say. I know you will uh, if you do. Uh, I believe that this issue that's emerged in the last uh, few months about aldermanic prerogative being an evil that has to be eradicated is a phony issue. It's a fake issue that diverts our attention from some serious problems the city has when it comes to legislating. I believe you're absolutely correct that only aldermanic prerogative that has existed, I'm talking about under the ROM years and the daily years, were mundane minor things that the mayor really didn't care about. And so he was more than happy to let Carlos be in charge of, Awnings in the 35th <laughs> ward, as long as he got Carlos's vote uh, on his budget or Carlos's mm-hmm. vote on his TIF deal or his parking meter deal. All right. Now, if he didn't get your vote, it really irritated him, but I don't believe it irritated him to the point where he would take control of awnings in the 35th Ward he would allow that you to sidewalk cafes and awnings and and like you said uh, residential parking that's Alderman a prerogative but as soon as you leave the the terrain of relatively minor mundane very important issues to people on the local level but not citywide as soon as you leave that terrain, then there is no alderman a prerogative, it's mayoral prerogative, and the alderman generally get uh, is usually a front that they hide behind to pretend as though there's local support for some yeah. program, yeah. all right? So do you agree with me about this? Uh,
1: you know, I mean, I can tell you, the, look at the 78. You know, The newly elected alderman comes in and says, hey, I'm Byron Zichel-Lopez, the people elected me on a mandate, this project should not move forward. And no one says, a none of my colleagues, the mayor don't say, we need to defer, you know, to, you know, the local alderman on this matter. There's the big example of, you know, Riley, uh, when he was fighting uh, the Children's Museum, you know, in a park in his uh, ward. So I think that when something has a lot of money interest in it. Then the mayor feels necessary to flex his or her muscle uh, to ensure that, despite the objections of the local elected official, it moves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a uh, you know empty parking lot, uh, almost empty parking lot in the 35th ward in 2014. Close to 800 people in Logan Square participated in a public input process where they said, we want that empty city-owned parking lot to be developed into 100% affordable housing. That was the number one thing that the community agreed on in terms of how to develop that city-owned parking lot just next to Logan Square Blue Line. And for three years, I had to fight the administration to get a proposal to be able to move forward for 100% affordable housing on that site. Mm under Aldermanic prerogative, right, if we think it's as robust and strong as it is, then the moment that I was elected on a pledge to develop that, the Department of Planning and Development, the mayor's office, CHA should have all worked with me to move that proposal forward alongside the community. Instead, what happens is I'm told, well, (laughs) Alderman, (laughs) wouldn't you want an Amazon store there? Uh Or we need, you know, maybe 30% affordability with some luxury condos there on site. And maybe we need an 11-story tower because you know that piece of land was and is so valuable. You know, that that the desire that the community expressed and the desire that I supported that the community expressed, which was to have 100% affordable housing, you know, that's where Aldermanic prerogative didn't matter. Now, ultimately, we're getting it. (laughs) Um, Yes, uh, you know, that was one of the things I also thank Mayor Ron Manuel uh, for. Well, I should backtrack. We have a community meeting on April 24th, although the initial, you know, community input that we've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive. So I think the community will will come out and support on April 24th. But since I'm on affordable housing, I guess the one place where we do need to have a conversation around aldermanic prerogative and how it leads to racist inequitable outcomes is when aldermen are able to use their prerogative to block affordable housing okay. being built in their
0: wards. And let me address that issue yeah. because that's part of the reason why this issue this phony issue has emerged because the in my opinion an inaccurate interpretation of a housing, affordable housing fight uh, has dictated the way the uh, public views this issue. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the public on the left, okay? So you're probably talking about the affordable housing fight that took place in the 41st Ward, uh, Alderman uh, Napolitano's Ward. Is Mm -hmm. that the one you're talking about? Where he effectively blocked an initiative to put affordable housing in there. I am telling you now what I've thought all along is that that he only prevailed because Mayor Rahm... Did, either didn't care, or was also against it. But if Mayor Rahm had wanted that affordable, if Mayor Rahm woke up That's every right. morning right. thinking, I want affordable housing in the 41st Ward, there would be affordable housing in the 41st Ward, That's just right. the way he forced your 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 friend and colleague, Nick Spizzato to take that- The charter school. The charter school. Yeah. So I, my lefty friends, man, you keep calling me up, Ben, Alderman a Prerogative, I'm like, there is no alderman stop wasting your time calling me about this non-existent issue and, and, and look at, at the at the
1: very base level of it it's legislative horse trading there is no way that you can tell the legislature unless the legislature takes it upon themselves to say I will not support your you know because essentially what we're saying I will support your zoning change. If in exchange you support mine, mm-hmm. right? That's legislative horse trading, yeah. right? That's a compact that is, uh, you know, a practice that exists in many different forms in many different legislatures at all levels of government. So I don't necessarily know when, you know, mayor like Liepford says she's going to pass an executive order to stop aldermanic prerogative. How are you going to pass an executive order that is going to stop? Legislators from horse trading with each other, from having that conversation of, hey, you support my ordinance for stop sign in my ward, I'll always support your ordinance for stop sign in your ward. What people object to is the way that aldermanic prerogative has been abused. Right, those instances when you know they've used their power to affect local decisions to enrich themselves or to force people to give them campaign contributions, which is in effect a corruption tax. Oh, okay. And and yeah. and so there are laws to prevent that, right? Yeah. So we need to see those laws enforced. Uh, but at the same time, I think what needs to occur is that we we also have to talk about when Aldermanic prerogative is used right. And I would argue that the community-driven zoning process that I've developed in my ward, Mm -hmm. right, ensures that the ability that I have locally to affect zoning changes has been transferred over to the people. And they're the ones now locally, through a democratic, inclusive, transparent process, determining what's gonna be built where in their district. Right? If you take away aldermanic prerogative, then in effect, you're taking away the power of my community to have a say over those processes.
0: And what do you replace that with? That's a big question. I, I Actually, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Uh, and at the risk of getting myself thrown out, of even more rooms I've already been thrown out with, I, I, I feel it's like when I look at what went down on the 41st ward, uh, that is aldermanic prerogative. That, uh, that is his ward at work. That's Napolitano's ward at work. That's Napolitano deciding uh, what he thinks is in the best interest of his ward based on what the people who showed up at his meetings told him. Now, if Mayor Rahm or Mayor Lightfoot or Mayor Ramirez Rosa or Mayor Dr. D or any mayor of the city of Chicago decides that there's a, a greater public interest that overrides the local interest, He will make that determination and it happened. I can tell you so many examples, Carlos, where it happened. Wrigley Field. Tom Tunney in the Ricketts. Mayor Rahm wanted to drive the Wrigley Field expansion. Mm-hmm. Totally, completely changed mm-hmm. the look and, and Wrigley Field has guaranteed Tom Tunney's re-election for the rest of his life as long <laughs> as he wanted because people hate the Ricketts, okay? Mm-hmm. So, there will be times when a mayor may say to a Napolitano of the world, no, I think it's in the best interest of the city of Chicago that you have affordable housing. But from the Napolitano's worldview, that was what he as an alderman is supposed to do at just as, like, from your worldview, putting that affordable housing on that vacant lot is what it, you think yeah. is in the best but, but But
1: I will say, ultimately. Any zoning change that I've made in the 35th Ward has always run through our community-driven zoning process. And if you look at the results, and they're posted on my website, aldermancarlosrosa.org, backslash hearings, you can see here are the comment cards, here are the emails, here is the summary of all the community input we received through our public meeting, through our uh, input process, and here's the final decision that the alderman made. Now, that said, I think that there is an argument to be made that if we're going to be able to diversify our city, because we are still one of the most segregated cities in the world. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna be able to diversify, integrate our city, if we're gonna be able to create communities that are integrated and diverse, both socially, racially, and economically, mm-hmm. then we do need to look at creating an ordinance that says, hey, if you are proposing an affordable housing development uh, that is you know, being built in what uh, HUD considers an opportunity zone, right which means this is an area where you're not concentrating a lot of working poor people in fact what you're doing is you know uh adding some economic diversity to an area that's already kind of affluent right if you are building in an opportunity zone and in addition to that the ward as a whole has less than five percent affordable housing or, or something to that effect then the zoning change is granted basically as of right right now folks like, I would assume, Anthony Napolitano, Nicholas Sposato, I think even maybe some folks that you know we might think are kind of progressive right now that are in majority white wards, they might actually rise up against that. And I think that this is one of those issues, again, when we were talking about Lori's mandate, is how do you you know, parse that, mm-hmm. right? Because you had Mount Greenwood, which went big for Trump, go big for Lori. I think it was one of her biggest, you know, percentages of the vote that she got. Okay, so back what back happens if me. Lori puts forward an ordinance that says we're going to take away Aldermanic prerogative to build affordable housing in Mount Greenwood? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good what point. Quite, uh, well, we'll see. Uh, I, I and I have, think she should do that. Uh, by the way, I just have to say in defense of Mount Greenwood. I'll be I the th- first a sponsor of that ordinance. I do not believe that Mount Greenwood went big for Donald John Trump. I think it may have gotten more votes uh, than your ward did for Donald Trump. But I don't, uh, I, I don't believe. Right. I, but we'll have to take a th- that deep yeah. dive later. All right. Now, um, why do you think, in your humble opinion, since we're talking about autumn or prerogative, why do you think Inspector General uh, Joseph Ferguson, with all the issues that the city of Chicago is facing, is choosing to champion that one, to eradicate Alderman and Pearl. Why? Why is that suddenly finding its way to the top of the I don't know. You know. I,
1: I, I respect uh, you know, um, our Inspector General. He has done tremendous work on many important issues that I care about as well. So, for example, the report that he just released on the gang database, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is really uh, shocking and should appall Chicago and just the way that that, you know, practice has been abused and used to terrorize our own residents, our own citizens in our city. Um, But, again, I think if we're talking about the way that that prerogative has been abused, then absolutely that's something that needs to be investigated. That's something that we need to look into. And it would be good to know... When it has been abused, what are the mechanisms in the bureaucracy that facilitate
0: that? All right. Okay. Fair enough. If someone's shaking down a a tavern owner, we should know about that. But that's, (laughs) I don't know if you could uh, outlaw. That's already against the rules. Uh, Let's make a new rule against shaking down tavern owners. All right. Let's move on to the reorganization of the city council. Uh, One of the. And one of the really deaf things that Lori Lightfoot has done in the last couple of weeks and I give her a lot of credit for this a very astute political maneuver uh, is to essentially follow me on this one Carlos put Ed Burke's face on any attempt by the Chicago City Council to uh, organize a coalition of aldermen against her uh, she made it clear that in her opinion from what she's heard the intel that she's heard that Ed Burke has been going around trying to organize essentially another council wars another faction of aldermen who will oppose or just on a knee-jerk So, so
1: I will say, unless there's a bunch of aldermen lying to me, <laughs> I actually don't think that that's taking place. Um, and I've talked to aldermen, uh, you know, up and down the aisle, and my senses is that Ed Burke actually isn't doing that. Uh, my other sense is that there, there is no really, you know, Ed Verdoliac, you know, in this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that right, I, I was reading about how, you know, Harold you know, calls his first meeting uh, as mayor to order, and he doesn't have the votes yeah. to organize the council. And mm-hmm. so he tries to adjourn the meeting, and then Edward Oliak jumps up and says, nope, we're going to continue yep. this meeting. I've got the votes, yep. and he organizes the council. Um, I, I will say that, you know, I, I think that people are having a conversation about what the city council should look like. And I do think that if we're going to be truly a robust legislative body, right, if, if we're going to pursue a system where... Aldermen have less control over what's happening locally, then in turn, aldermen then should have more ability to affect what's happening citywide. And that means that we then have to become a true legislative body. But that's going to be a very big drastic change. Uh, for my colleagues and for the people of the city of Chicago who right now are used to having that local decision maker that they can be in relationship with, a very close relationship with, who they can go to their ward night and they can say, okay, if there's this specific issue, I know that I can call my elder and then they'll be able to affect things at City Hall. So again, I, I think that it's exciting because it's an opportunity. It's mm-hmm. exciting because it allows us to reimagine Chicago, to rethink what it is it to have a truly robust, democratic, legislative body uh, that the city council should be. But I think that there's a lot working against it to make that happen. Um, and again, the, the default would be that you know the mayor-elect works with the existing committee chairs, mm-hmm. decides who else is gonna become a committee chair, and then uses You know, the the, the stick and the carrot that they have uh, to get the additional, you know, so right now there's 16 committees plus two leadership positions, The you know, President Pro Tem and the Vice Mayor. So you got 18 positions, right, that are kind of carrots that you could hand out. And then 18, you need eight more, right? So you find another eight aldermen, right? Mm -hmm. And you have other carrots to give out, right? So I've already heard that, you know, Mayor-elect Lightfoot is calling aldermen and saying, what do you need? What do you want? What's going on in your ward? And she hasn't called you yet. No no <laughs> comment. Didn't the 35th ward go strong for Lori Lightfoot? Uh, so it, it was, uh, so Lori obviously won big everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, Lori uh, is my neighbor. Uh, I live oh, in the. that's Abbedale. right. She lives in the. She lives yeah. in, in the she in your ward? portion of the 35th ward. Yes. Lori Lightfoot got 66% in the 35th ward. Uh, it was one of two north, Side's, north side wards where she got below 70%, and that was the 49th ward. And the 35th Ward. Those were the only two wards on the north, north side in general where yeah. she got less uh, than uh, than 70%. Wow.
0: Okay. So she is your constituent.
1: That she is. Don't tell. <laughs> don't tell Greg Hines that. I don't know if you saw. He was trying yeah,
0: to, to like try contri- Greg so, Hines, Chicago Cranes uh, columnist, a little to the right of. Uh, a little just a, a little to the right. Hey, but he has an earring, so you know he's yeah. But he's it's cool. on, on. He's Greg. By the way, I've known forever. I always like to point this out. Many many years ago, you did not know this, yeah. Carlos. Uh, Greg Hines and I were uh, were in a poker game together, oh. and uh, he's a. F- he always love making fun of Greg. He's a fine writer, but what a lousy card player, Greg Hines is. I,
1: I will say he writes mean things about me, and then I call him to go on the record, and then he won't call me back. But uh, I'll tell come you, on, I'll t- Greg, that's my old poker pal. Call <laughs> Carlos back. Go but ahead. I'll tell you, the, the story is, is that um, so I'm at City Hall. And you know, a couple of reporters there text me, hey, when you get out of committee, can you talk to us about this Socialist Caucus that you all have talked about forming? Uh-huh. And so you know, I go talk to the ABC7 reporter, and then the Sun-Times reporter, and then the Tribune reporter, and so they're all just there asking me questions at the same time. And they're basically asking me the same questions over and over again. Well, aren't you gonna be combative? Aren't you gonna fight the mayor? And I'm saying, no, you know, the election happened, right? Yeah. During the election, yes, I and some of my progressive friends had a lot of concerns about Mayor elect Lightfoot's record, but we are now in a moment where we have to come together to get things done. I wanna work with her. If she wants to work on progressive revenue, if she wants to work on issues that are gonna you know, uplift working families, I'm her number one. Um, and, and they keep asking me the same <laughs> question, so at some point I go, guys, she's my constituent, of course I wanna work with her. So Greg Hines just latches onto that and he's like, arrogant socialist alderman cause Lori Lightfoot his <laughs> constituent. I'm her constituent now, and she's my constituent, you know? They, oh, and, and the man. thing is, so so of course, he, he keeps trying to like tweet this at me. You called her, you know, your constituent. And so I go through the record, and actually, there were numerous times that Alderman Pawar called you know uh, yeah. Mayor Rahm Manuel his constituent. So yes, Lori Lightfoot is my constituent. Yeah, that's what she is. Yeah.
0: But he tweets? Greg Hines tweets? Yes, yeah. God dang, man. Greg, you're really hip. I didn't know that. Uh, okay. Oh my God, someday I'll tell you the full story. Greg Hines, great writer, lousy card player. All right, let's move on. Uh, the um, oh, six Democratic socialists cannot allow that to emerge. I mean, you just let that one slide away. You're right. The, the folks at Cranes are going nuts. Yeah, there's six Democratic socialists. Uh, wow, it is. I don't really quite know what to say about that. Carlos been around Chicago for a long time. And I'm thinking of the wards in which they're, uh, they were elected. For instance, you're a Democratic Socialist 35th Ward, oh my God, I remember the days of 35th Ward, like in the 80s, it was like these guys, real right wing, you know, uh, legislators. Uh, Pat O'Connor in the 40th Ward, he's yeah. been replaced by a Democratic Socialist. That's right. uh, Deb Mell has been replaced, That's right. the Democratic Socialist, a Willie Cochran, no, I don't know if Jeanette Taylor's a Democratic Socialist, whatever. She's a
1: member of the Democratic Socialist America, card carrying. Peace, power, love. Um, <laughs> but anyway
0: (laughs) uh so what do you make of all this democratic socialists you know uh, i I think that that people
1: want change and and if you look at i was outspent three to one my opponent spent about two hundred and ninety thousand dollars i spent ninety thousand dollars and nonetheless you know despite people wanting change despite people saying vote the bums out right i wasn't one of those bums to the 60 percent of voters in my district that chose me Mm -hmm. um and um you had a moment of
0: panic as we talked about the last I time did, were on I did, I did. Because
1: they were spending all that money. They were spending me three to one. It was like yeah. I'd open up my mailbox and there'd be like three million
0: being like, He's a deadbeat, fire him.
1: Uh, that's scary, you know? Yeah.
0: But you won with I think sixty percent of the vote. So um so anyway, people wanted to By changes. the way, I got forty seven hundred votes in the thirty fifth ward. Uh, Okay. Guess how much Lori got. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with this. Uh, Uh, 4,200. Like 4,300. Okay. I I, I figured. So in other words, you beat Lori. So if the mayor's race was just determined by the 35th Ward, it would be Mayor Carlos (laughs) Ramirez Rosa. Um, So what do you... Just thank you to the voters of the 35th Ward. I love all of it. Yes. And, and And look, people in my
1: ward love Lori. I know people in my ward are supportive of the type of leadership that I've presented. So again, I just want to reiterate. We got to come together now as a progressive movement to get progressive things done. And that's what I'm committed to.
0: All right. That's very good. And in terms of the Democratic Socialist Coalition, will you, there be a caucus, a separate Democratic Socialist caucus? Will you be uh, part of the Progressive Caucus? or what's the future? So uh,
1: other than me, all the uh, socialists elected are uh, freshmen. Um, And so we have met, we are speaking. Uh, Our intention is to formally form a caucus, but they don't have the bandwidth right now to work on bylaws. Uh, And I'm not blaming them. You know, they gotta set up their offices. (laughs) (laughs) They were just like, Carlos, we can't work on bylaws right now. And I was like, that is totally fair. (laughs) Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. Um, So we're gonna be uh, meeting over the next several months. Uh, We're gonna be talking about what it is that we're gonna be doing as socialists. Those meetings have already started. We had a very productive meeting, uh, you know, with a group of our staff socialist aldermen, you know, and supporters of, you know, the struggle. Um, I think ultimately, uh, hopefully, in the next several months, we're going to be able to draft those bylaws and formally file them
0: uh, with uh, the sergeant at arms. And what's going to happen to the old progressive caucus is going to fade away. Well, I
1: am committed to continue caucusing with the progressive caucus. Look, I think that we can have, no, and I don't want to see it fade away. I mean, I think the socialist caucus has an opportunity to be the left pole of the Chicago City Council. And the Progressive Caucus has the ability to be a bigger tent organization where that left pole of the Chicago City Council works with folks that are just a little bit further you know, to the right than them. Just a little bit, just a smidge. <laughs> uh, so just a little bit more. Uh, but But work yeah. with that group of potentially 18. Because there are some people that were just reelected that weren't part of the caucus that are talking about joining. Uh, You know, I I think everyone that was part of the caucus in this past term that was reelected, you know, intends to return. So it looks like there's a possibility we may have 15, 16, 17, 18 members. So that's an increase. And, you know, my sense is, if done right, those can be the first 18 votes for Scott Wagaspack to become finance committee chair. We got to start thinking about how do we actually build coalitions? How do we actually build, uh, you know, a, a progressive majority in the Chicago City Council? And we've already read in the papers that you know there are a lot of aldermen that do not want to give their vote. To, uh, you know Scott Wagesback as finance committee chair now we do know that you know uh, there was some talk that you know Lori had uh, you know expressed her desire uh, privately to Scott to see him in that role I have publicly said time and time again that I want to see him in that role uh, you know I think he's eager to get into that role and I think that he would do a great job at it but um you know the, the question is is how do you get to 26 aldermen to make that happen um, and right now I don't know if, if Lori, is going to be able to pull together 26 aldermen uh, that will support Scott Wagsback to be Finance Committee Chair, and so that's where he would need
0: uh, the help of the Democratic Socialists, yeah, uh, and the Progressives and, in, in the caucus. So. All right, and what about yourself? What, what future do you see? You're you're not a rookie anymore. You're heading into your second term. Uh, you've been through the wars of Mayor Rob. <laughs> uh, I'm a veteran. <laughs> you're a veteran, yeah. Uh, and. Um, yeah, you've dealt with life in the city council. These rookies, they don't know. Jeanette Taylor, you don't know how easy you're going to have it compared to Mayor Rahm. Uh, days of Mayor Rahm. So what what role would you like to play in the uh, you city know, council?
1: I, I mean, the role that I've, that I've always wanted to play is, is one where I use whatever intellect I have, you know, my body, my voice, to move forward uh, the cause of justice, right? And I see people in my ward that can't afford to pay their rent. I see people in my ward that are thinking about how they're going to be able to buy their insulin to treat their diabetes. I see people who are sending their kids to schools that are woefully underfunded. Um, I see so much racism and classism in the policies the city halls push forward. I'm committed to being as effective as possible, Um, you know, with all the the gifts, uh, you know, that that our creator has given me to be able to move uh, in a more progressive direction. Um, And so I'm eager to work with my new Socialist Caucus colleagues. I'm eager to work with my new Progressive Caucus colleagues. I'm eager to work with Mayor Lech Lightfoot to get those things done. But the main issues that I'm looking at are how do we erase the gang database? How do we finally remove the carve-outs from the Welcoming City Ordinance? How do we move forward on affordable housing policies that are gonna build affordable housing where we need it the most? Neighborhoods like Logan Square, gentrifying neighborhoods across the city. How are we gonna make sure that we're fully funding our public schools? How are we going make sure that we're providing people with the type of support and city services that they deserve? That's a big task, yeah. right? Because at the same time, you know, we need to fund our pension liability. But it's taking months right now to get a tree trimmed. It's mm. taking months right now to get a light bulb replaced. It's getting, taking months to get potholes filled. And at the same time, we see such a scourge of gun violence in our streets. All of these issues are interconnected. I think that one of the issues that kind of connects all of them are, what is our budgeting priority? Yeah. And how are we raising the revenue that we need to get things done? Um, so those are the issues that I'm committed to working on in this next council. It's really great. Uh, to now know that i have a you know growing team that's willing to work on me with those issues and look it's dealing with what's in the realm of possible but it's also putting forward a vision of what we could accomplish if we elected even more socialists, if we elected even more progressives to the Chicago City Council, so I know that there there are some issues that weren't possible this past council mm-hmm. that are now going to actually get serious attention. So, for example, Mayor-elect Lightfoot has committed to implement, uh, you know, GAPA, which is a grassroots proposal for civilian oversight. Mm-hmm. Oh, I police, believe, yeah. uh, you know, that we should implement CPAC, which is a proposal a little bit to the left of GAPA. Um, my sense is um, that um, you know there's a lot of support to bring in civilian oversight of the police. That wasn't past, possible in this past council. I think it's possible in this one. But then let's think about what could be possible if we had even more progressives in the Chicago mm-hmm. City Council. Well, let's it, work towards that It as was well.
0: definitely possible in the last council if the mayor of the city of Chicago <laughs> wanted to make That's that right. a priority That's and right. he clearly didn't. All right. Uh, I have this whole cheat sheet that I gave you uh, about all the challenges, the fiscal challenges uh, the city is facing. Uh, I don't know if we have enough time to go through the whole cheat sheet, but it deals with everything. Uh, it's Fran Spielman's article that she wrote uh, the day after the election. And it's really a, a good cheat sheet. It has all the, the pension issues, uh, the police contract, the fire contract, the teacher's contract, etc. and so forth. Um, <laughs> just to uh, sum it all up, any... Uh, any notion of how we can find the money just to deal with this. Uh, Matt Martin was here uh, about a week ago, the newly elected arm of the 47th ward, and he was talking about his support of a city income tax, which, uh, which is a great idea, but I don't see any sign that uh, that would pass anytime soon. So any realistic source of money to pay all these obligations?
1: I think the biggest, uh, you know, thing that we could do immediately is phase out and abolish the TIFs that, uh, you know, the city has right now. $660 million went into those TIFs, uh, you know, last year. And um, we need to look at what projects do we have to fund contractually, right, because we're locked into those. What projects do we not have to, you know, actually fund uh, that we then actually can assess if we do or do not actually want to fund. Um, and then from there, look at you know how do we surplus that money? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we phase down abolish those TIFs? That could bring hundreds of millions of dollars into the city budget. Now let me make it clear. As long as we're not engaging in that process, then I will continue to support the use of TIF for public good. So if you know my colleague in the 10th Ward, Sue Garza, wants to use TIF money to fix up a school, I'm all for that because mm-hmm. I think that TIF money should already be going to schools. The problem is, is that the way the TIF districts work is uh, that um, it captures that money. I've talked about this before with you. It's the balconization of the city budget, mm-hmm. right? So rather than that tax revenue being sent down to City Hall to then be redistributed to the west side, to the south side, to the northwest side, to our neighborhoods, instead that money is captured in what are many of the most affluent parts of the city, mm-hmm. right? So when you have... Uh, uh, you know the lasalle street tiff which i think should just be abolished mm-hmm. right we should just get rid of it <laughs> makes sure that that money stays in that ritzy part of the city yeah. so as long as we continue to have tiffs and we're not moving in the direction of phasing them out and abolishing them then i will continue to use uh the TIF money that exists towards public goods that it should already be used towards so for example the affordable housing development in the 35th ward is going to get tiff money mm-hmm. right but that money has to be spent in that area, right? And I'm going to make sure, with the support of the community, right, if if they agree that that money is actually spent on a public good, a public necessity,
0: in this case, affordable housing. Um, why are we going with this? We- no, I don't know. Uh, you were. <laughs> it, I know exactly where you're going with it. I, I, I'm for uh, oh, eradicating uh, tips as much as possible, revenue. but that's not going to deal revenue, with uh, revenue. Revenue. Yeah. Revenue. Revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The other proposal. Um,
1: so the city has a statute that defines what the central business district is. Mm-hmm. Right. It's defined in statute. If we institute a commercial lease tax for the central business district, so for example, if we say if you have a lease in excess of five hundred thousand, or you know a million dollars, and you're one of you're Boeing or you know you're this big you know corporate law firm, you pay a two to four percent tax on that lease. For uh, the island of Manhattan, that tax brings in about eight nine hundred million dollars a year for mm-hmm. the city of New York big time revenue source. I think that Chicago, we are leading the nation in corporate relocations. A big part of that has to do with the fact that actuarial scientists that help uh, Fortune 500 companies assess where they should relocate are telling them, hey, Chicago's a great place to, you know, Take on climate change. Chicago's a great place to ride it out, what's gonna come. Um, so I think we're gonna continue to lead the nation in, in corporate relocations. People are gonna wanna continue to come here, right? Because corporate America is already, you know, taking on those risk assessments. Actually, I don't know if there was an article in the New York Times about the Pinkertons. You remember mm-hmm. The Pinkertons, they yeah. would, you know, shoot at the unionists.
0: Yeah, the uh, uh, The security private security for, yeah, thugs. yeah.
1: They are legitimately doing a risk assessments for their very rich clients about what they're going to do as you know climate change impacts the entire globe so you know corporate america is taking this very seriously um and um you know i I think that we should also begin to think that through when we're determining our city policies um and and one of those is that look chicago can enact a corporate lease tax for the central business district people are going to continue to come here if you have a million dollar lease you're paying a two percent tax on that what is that? Ben, is that twenty thousand?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, your math's better than mine. Car, you went to Whitney Young. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. That, it's twenty thousand. Yeah,
1: twenty thousand being paid on a million dollars
0: is not going to break the bank. All right, wait, hold on. Boom. You hear that sound? That's the sound of my old poker paying. Poker playing pal, Greg Hines, passing out at the thought, Elise Tax and Commercial leave. Yeah. downtown, man, Everyone's going to leave downtown,
1: oh. we're going to become Detroit, there's going to be one cow <laughs> going down Michigan Avenue. Uh, it's it's going to be horrible, ben, yeah, that's because, the fight you know that you're corporation get. that could pay a million-dollar lease for their space, you asked them to pay that 20000 in taxes to the city, and that was really the deal-breaker
0: for All me. right. Well, I'm really hoping that uh, you and Lori Lightfoot can get together on that one, because that would be a, but, but an I interesting— But I think if it, we
1: structured something similar yeah. to New York's corporate lease tax for our central business district in Chicago, it would bring in two to $300 million a
0: year. Yeah, it's funny. The, um, uh, the, the leaders of this town want all the TIF money to go to the downtown, but if you ever talk about taxing the downtown, how dare you uh you're a socialist all right final question before we go i gotta ask you uh you were a supporter of bernie in 2016 you're a supporter of bernie now bernie sanders of course and i got all excited uh when bernie went on fox tv at the start of the week uh and um he was a town hall and he called for medicare for all and he got a rousing applause uh, I was so <laughs> shocked by that one. Uh, so I'm going to have to concede something, you know? I, you were right, I think, and I was wrong in 2016. I think uh, Bernie might have been more electable than Hillary. I thought that Hillary is more electable than Bernie, although she didn't win the election. I just want to point that out. Uh, so were you encouraged when you heard the cheering at the Fox Town Hall meeting? You
1: know, I, I think it confirmed what we've uh, you know seen in the polling for quite some time, and that is that across the aisle, issues like Medicare – Medicare for all, free college tuition, you know, raising the minimum wage are extraordinarily popular. Particularly Medicare for All. And I think that now that we've attempted the more, you know, market oriented reforms that the Republicans were pushing for around healthcare in the seventies, that the Democrats picked up, you know, under Obama, and that failed, I think increasingly people are beginning to understand the market or attempting to jerry rig this bureaucracy over the market is not gonna provide the health outcomes that we need and deserve. And the more that we've talked about that. You know how the U.S. leads the world mm-hmm. in terms of healthcare spending, yet has some the worst outcomes of the first world, of the developed world. Um, people are beginning to wake up that it's time to have you know Medicare for all.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct on that one. So you were right, and I was wrong back in 2016. I always hate to say when I'm wrong, but uh, in this particular case, I must do that. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, 35th Ward Alderman. It's always a blast talking politics with you. We'll see you back next month, all right? Yes, We'll make it a regular deal. And uh, everybody out there, uh, stay tuned for our next show, which will be on Tuesday, right, D? Yeah, who's going to be on that show? Uh, who will be Maya Duke-Masova. Thank you. I know that. And,
1: and Happy Easter to all of the
0: celebrities. Yeah, <laughs> Happy Easter. And uh, Jacob Kaplan from uh, the um, Cook County Democratic Party. Thank you for reminding me that. Everybody, take care. See you on Tuesday.